Good evening. Welcome to Bedtime Stories with Thompson. We are reading The Oregon Trail by Francis Parkman. This is Chapter 9, Indian Days. Chapter 9, Part 1. This is a big one, so we're going to split it in half. Chapter 9, Indian Days. We decided to make camp and wait for news of the traders. I had come so far for my studies, I didn't want to miss the opportunity of rendezvousing with the whirlwind. However, Quincy was losing his patience. Look, Francis, we've been camped here two days waiting for those traders, he said. Henry and I have scouted ten miles around in every direction, and we've seen no Indians, no buffalo, nothing but prairie. Like the Indians, the traders are not coming. Tell you what, Quincy, I suggested, let's wait one more day, and if they don't come, well then, Delorier can take the cart and baggage back to Fort Laramie while we try to overtake the Whirlwind's village. Francis, I'm afraid I'm not as interested in studying Indians as you. I'm exhausted, and my horse is disabled from climbing up and down all those ravines. In that case, I'll take Raymond and try to find the Whirlwind alone. And so it was that after the last civilized meal we were to enjoy for some time, Raymond and I shook hands with our friends, agreeing to meet back at Fort Laramie on the 1st of August and set off for the mountains. As we crossed the gloomy black hills, we searched anxiously for hours for traces of the Indians. Failing to find them, we feared we had missed the trail. Then we saw the imprint of a moccasin, then the furrows made by dragged lodge poles, then the tracks of many people and horses, then the ashes of 150 fires. Excited, we went on, only to lose the trail on the hard ground and have to hunt for it again. We slowly forced our animals over rocks, along narrow ravines, and through deep canyons where daylight could scarcely make its way. We edged past bare cliffs as hundreds of feet high, with bald, black crags as sharp as needles at the top. All the while, I either hung in my saddle, hardly able to hold myself erect, or crawled up a steep rise on my hands and knees when my weary horse could no longer bear my weight. After we entered the country roamed by the dangerous Shoshones and Arapahoes, we, missed, we risked meeting any of their wandering parties. It would surely cost us our lives. Nothing remained of our supplies but a little flour. My strength, spirit, and horse were all about to give out. It was then, a mile or more off, that we saw the tall lodges of the Ogallala, one of the bands of the Western Sioux, standing in a circle by a stream. Horses and Indians swarmed everywhere. Never did the heart of a wanderer gladden more at the sight of home than did mine at the sight of that camp. The trader Reynal was already with them, so they knew who I was, and they welcomed me eagerly. For the next few weeks, that Ogallala village was my home, and the chiefs and warriors, their squaws and children, became my family. Raymond and I went to live in the lodge of Big Crow, who was honored that a white man should choose him as host. Our place was the guest's place at the head of his lodge. We slept there on his buffalo robes and shared his pipes of tobacco and bowls of boiled buffalo meat. Often, little naked copper-colored boys and snake-eyed young squaws thrust their heads in through the teepee opening, inviting us to various feasts in different parts of the village. Unless we wished to offend our hosts, we would have to pass from lodge to lodge, testing in each, tasting in each one from the bowl of meat set before us and inhaling a whiff or two from our host's pipe. Since I was still suffering the effects of my illness, I was poorly qualified to eat 20 meals a day. I knew, however, that at least half of our kind hosts, had they met us alone and unarmed on the prairie, would have robbed us of our horses and loosed an arrow on us besides. I, of course, feasted the Indians in return. For some vermilion, beads, and other trinkets, I bought a white dog, 
the dish decreed by Sioux custom for all important occasions. For a few more trinkets, I hired two squaws to prepare the feast, the boiled dog. Raymond helped by frying what little flour we had left in buffalo fat and also made some well-sweetened tea. The feast was a resounding success and was followed by pipe smoking and speech making. Raynal translated each sentence of my speech as I went along, and each was echoed by all my listeners with the usual cries of agreement and approval. I have come from a country so far off, I began, that at the rate you travel, you could not reach it in a year. How? How? There, I went on, the whites are more numerous than the blades of grass on the prairie, and all their men are brave warriors. How? 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 While I was living in the white men's lodges, I heard of the Ogallala, how great and brave a nation they are, how they love the whites, how well they can hunt the buffalo and strike their enemies. I resolved to come and see if all I heard is true. How, 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 how? <laughs> I have not been able to bring many presents through the mountains, but at Fort Laramie I have plenty of powder, lead, knives, and tobacco much better than the tobacco you get from the traders. And if you come to the fort before I go away, I will make you handsome presents. How, 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 how! And that's all for part one of chapter nine. We'll pick up tomorrow with the rest of it. Until then, good night.